All right, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the pod. We got another one today. Um, Fry started to cheese and figure out what was up. Hell no. Fuck out of here, Fry's. What you think this is? Um, We got a couple topics today. I'm going to cover Zion. I'm going to cover um, buyout market and the implications of the buyout market. And then I'm going to talk about B-Souls. He's another uh, YouTuber content creator that I really I did enjoy. I'll talk about him a little bit because he had a really stupid tweet recently. Um. But that's regardless. We'll get to that. That'll be interesting. Um, but we're going to start with the buyout market because two big names, uh, LaMarcus and Drummond, both got signed. Drummond obviously going to the Lakers. He got injured right away, which was awesome for me, at least, because I'm playing him in fantasy. But obviously, you know, speedy recovery for him. Hopefully, it's it's not too serious. I saw a tweet today. I think it was from Woj. It doesn't seem too serious. They think he's going to miss one to two games at most. But it's funny. LaMarcus played like maybe... I don't know if it was like like 10, 20 minutes. Man, I saw Lakers fans slandering that man right away. Like, <laughs> it was funny, bro. It was funny because this man played like 10 minutes. And Lakers fan, I saw a Lakers fan tweet out, Drummond, you are not a guard. And I, I don't watch the game, so I don't know what was up, but I thought that was funny. The Drummond signing could either be really big or really nothing, in my opinion, because I think we're going to see here whether Drummond was an empty stats guy. A lot of my friends believe that Drummond is an empty stats guy. I am more on the fence about it. I believe that Andre Drummond, you know, you have to have some skill to average like 15 rebounds a year. You have to have some skill to to be running the rebound title every year in the league. So we'll see, but this Drummond signing could prove to be something or nothing. And we'll just, we'll have to see because damn AD won't play the damn center position. Uh, The Marcus Aldridge signing, I've been telling people this too. It literally means nothing. Even though I think he, like, went off right away against the Hornets. He had, like, 11 points in, like, five minutes or something crazy like that. But this LaMarcus Aldridge signing means nothing. It literally means – it's like the Blake Griffin signing. It means absolutely nothing. Eh, that's not true. The Blake Griffin signing means more than LaMarcus Aldridge signing means. The uh, Nets are just addressing their depth. But they're addressing their depth in a way that doesn't really help them besides their depth, you know? Like, they're, they're collecting these names, but these names still can't play defense. Like, the biggest problem on this team is still defense. Now, the Brooklyn Nets may be a special case, and I think that they are a special case, where you just kind of don't need to play defense because you have three of the best scorers in the league. You know, this, this I've said this before, this, this super team is just an anomaly. It's an anomaly. It's something that we can't judge. We can't compare it to the Heatles. We can't compare it to the Celtics. We can't compare it to any team because... We've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything quite like this before. But overall, I don't think I don't think the Lamarcus Aldridge signing is going to be anything crazy. I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. I think Lamarcus will add more leadership to a locker room that's full of it, and it'll add more scoring to a team that really doesn't need more scoring. It's more of a ring chase thing, and that's why a lot of people on Twitter were upset. Is like, all right, now y'all doing too much by signing Blake and Lamarcus. Y'all already have a big three. Like, what are you doing? And Kenny made a great point of this in his most recent video about parody in the NBA. But like the same people, right? The same people that criticized Lamarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin for going to the Brooklyn Nets, and criticized Kevin Durant for going to the Warriors are the exact same people who criticize Russell Westbrook for not having a ring or criticize Damian Lillard for being too loyal. Like there is, there is an aspect of NBA fandom where we judge the greatness of a player by how many rings they have. LeBron's not greater than Jordan because Jordan has six rings. 
That is probably, that's the first argument that you hear off the bat. You know? Bill Russell is so great because he has 11 rings. That's the first argument of Bill Russell's greatness. You know, we judge players by how many rings they have. So it only makes sense for a player to go ring chasing, right? The only way for us to stop this, this, you know, causing of super teams is as fans stop giving a shit as to whether players have rings or not. Because they only hand out one trophy per year. They only hand out one trophy per year. And if players understand that their value and their possibility to get in the Hall of Fame is reliant on a ring, they're going to go try and get a ring. Kevin Durant was was always like, yeah, but he doesn't have a ring yet. So he fucking went to Golden State to win a ring. I would have done the same thing. I just would have not responded to people on Twitter. I would have been like, yeah, deal with it. I wanted to win a ring. You know, because we as fans value the, the championship so much, it's hard to get mad at players when they take the easy route to go win a championship. Stephen A. Smith, Russell Westbrook had the, the 30-20-15 game. Stephen A. Smith went on first take the next day and said, hey man, great job, but you don't have a ring, so I don't care. So basically Stephen A. Smith criticized the guy who has not taken the easy way out. And also criticized a guy in Kevin Durant who has taken the easy way out. So who? how do you win? How do you win in Stephen A. Smith's world? Do you ring chase or do you not ring chase and not win a championship? Russell Westbrook could have a couple rings if it wasn't for some unfortunate injuries to those Thunder teams. He really could have a ring. He don't get his knee blown out by Patrick Beverly. He might have a ring. Him and Kevin Durant don't blow a 3-1 lead to the Warriors. He might have a ring. Kevin Durant, don't go out with a plantar fascia injury. They might have a ring. The point is, is that I think it's unfair to get mad at players who ring chase when we as fans value rings so much. It's a very tedious line because when LaMarcus Aldridge signed with them, I was a little upset because I wanted him to see him go to the I wanted to see him go to the Heat. But then I took a step back and I was like, well, what do I value? I value championships. It only matters how many rings you got on your fingers. And so why wouldn't he go to Brooklyn? If I was LaMarcus Aldridge, if I was any free agent right now, I would be pushing to go to Brooklyn. J.J. Redick wanted to get bought out before he got traded. And that J.J. Redick, we'll talk, I'll actually talk about this after. I'll talk about J.J. after. But the point is, the moral of the story is, it's stupid as fans for us to get mad at LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin for ring chasing when we judge their careers by ranks. You know, when we judge players' greatness by ranks. And Blake Griffin is a guy whose Hall of Fame candidacy changes a lot if he wins a ring. If Blake Griffin wins a ring, he might be a Hall of Famer, dog. Like, low-key. Low-key might be a Hall of Famer. Marcus Aldridge, I don't know. Maybe. Because from, like, when he was drafted until, like, two years ago, Marcus Aldridge was a 20-10 and 10 guy. He was just a 20-10 and 10 guy consistently, an all-star, a great player. So a ring for both of Blake Griffin and Lamar Soldiers helps their Hall of Fame case. So why the fuck wouldn't they go to Brooklyn? Come on, Doug. You're going to sit here and tell me that you wouldn't do the same thing? I would do the same thing. I would immediately do the same thing. But that's regardless. More of the story is I think it's dumb to criticize players for ring chasing when we value rings above all. Next up, I guess I'll talk about the J.J. Reddick situation. Because J.J. got traded and it was like, it was one of the like at the buzzer trades of the trade deadline. I didn't really cover it. I just kind of glossed over because I didn't know the nuance of it. So in November, so this is a huge backstory. I listen to JJ Reddick's podcast extremely consistently. Not so much because I haven't just, I just haven't been listening to podcasts lately. 
But anyway, JJ's podcast, The Old Man in the Three, I highly recommend it. It's a great podcast. Him and Tommy are hilarious, and they have really great guests. JJ said this when he signed with New Orleans a couple uh, earlier this year, right? I don't know when he signed with New Orleans. I think it was last year. Last offseason, he signed with New Orleans. Whatever. It doesn't matter. He went on his podcast and said, I signed with New Orleans to play with Drew Holiday. So when Drew Holiday got traded, they addressed it on the podcast. And in my head, I was like, I wonder how that affects JJ. Because I remember he said, you know, he only wants to get traded. He only signed with New Orleans to play with Drew Holiday. And that was one of the main reasons why he went. And as it turns out, he revealed on his most recent podcast that he, after Drew Holiday got traded in November, he went into the office and he requested a trade. He didn't do it through his agent. He went into David Griffin because they have like a, they had a working relationship. They had a really good relationship. And he was like, I want to be traded. And David was like, you know what? Give it a month. Come back here. If you still want to be traded, I'll try and move you to a place where you want to go. And so JJ came back in a month because, so JJ wanted to get traded because of the Drew Holiday thing. Also just because his kids are growing up, man. JJ's 37. He has a family. He's spent time away from his family. Family lives in Brooklyn for y'all don't know. Most of y'all probably don't know. His family lives up in Brooklyn. That's where they stay. And his son like started kindergarten up in Brooklyn. His son went back to school in Brooklyn. His other son, Knox and something else. I don't remember his other son's name, but I know, I think Knox started kindergarten. I don't remember. Anyway, and then the NBA was like, oh, we're starting on this day. Let's go. So he requested a trade a month later. He was like, no, I still want to be traded. And Dave was like, all right, we'll look into it. JJ said that as of like January, he was under the impression that he was going to get bought out. That if something that because because I think he might have gone the subsidy. It doesn't matter. There is a time period in which you cannot be traded as a recently signed player. And. Once that threshold passed and JJ wasn't traded like immediately in the next coming days, he was under the impression that he would be bought out and JJ was not bought out. And JJ kind of knew in the back of his head that he was going to be traded on trade deadline day, but him and David Griffin had talked about it and they talked about him going to teams near Brooklyn so he could be at least close to his family, right? Boston, Philly, um... Brooklyn itself, the Knicks, like they had talked about teams that he would be somewhat close to his family so he could go see them. But as it turns out, uh, that didn't happen. So the way JJ told it is he went to a Pilates class with his wife, um, Chelsea, and they, it was like 2.30, he checked his phone, he didn't see shit. He didn't get anything from his agent, he didn't get anything from the, the organization, anything like that. And he was like, all right, I'm not going to be traded. All right, cool. At the end of the Pilates class, Chelsea walks up to him and goes, JJ, why does my phone have three missed calls from your agent? And JJ finds out that he was traded to the Mavericks further away from Brooklyn, further away from Brooklyn than New Orleans is. So he was like kind of bullshit about that. He said David Griffin did not keep his word. He was not happy about that, which is understandable. JJ is an upstanding guy. He's a great guy for the league. He's overall just been a, a... a, a great player in this league. And as he's rehabbing this heel injury and what's going on with his Achilles, I can understand the frustration. I just thought that was a really scum move, you know, by the Pelicans to to do that to him. And it just proves that, like, it proves another point that kind of connects to the ring chasing thing. Why the hell should players be loyal in this league? Why? Organizations treat it like a business. Why wouldn't an organization be loyal? 
It's pawns. You know what I'm saying? So why do players, why should players be loyal? I'm not someone that thinks players should be loyal. Why the fuck should they be loyal? Because you know that if the right trade package is there, no players untouchable. No players untouchable. No players untouchable. But regardless, let's go to Zion. Because this is this is an interesting topic about how Zion dominating the league. Because I don't know who what Dom 2K, he made a video talking about Zion and how great he is and how nobody cares because he's not dunking the damn ball. And you want to know why he's not dunking the ball? Because he doesn't want to mess up his damn knees. That's why. It hit me like a ton of bricks when Dom said in his video. Zion just overpowers people and does layups because he doesn't want to mess up his knees. How did Derrick Rose mess up his knees? Because he dunked recklessly. Russell Westbrook changed the way he landed after he tore his meniscus so that he wouldn't mess up his knees further. And still, Russell Westbrook has problems. Vince Carter's career was greatly hindered by jumper's knee. So Zion lays the ball in because he doesn't want to mess up his knees. Because he's already had a problem with the knee. Genius by the Pelicans. Genius. Fucking genius. And I just wanted to discuss how Zion can and can't destroy the league. And how Zion... Because we were talking about this, how Giannis and Luka, it's their league. It's their league to lose. And I brought up Zion, and one of my friends was like, eh, no. Zion's just not going to be that way. And I don't believe that. I I truly believe. You watch that man play... He is going to win you basketball games. The Pelicans have started to get better around it, but Zion is averaging 26 points per game on phenomenal percentages, like historically good efficiency. And this Pelicans team is not well tailored to him. It's, it's, it's an okay tailor, right? You have Brandon Ingram, you have Lonzo Ball, you have shooters around him, but it's not perfect. So... To see this, to see Zion dominating in a situation that's not perfect for him is is really telling for me. It's really telling for me because it's like, imagine what he's going to do when he has the right pieces around him. Imagine what he's going to do in the perfect situation. It's like with what Lonzo fans say. We see flashes with Lonzo, but he's always, quote unquote, not in the right situation. Imagine what happens when we see Zion in the perfect situation because you could... And Eric Bledsoe signing, terrible. Or the Eric Bledsoe trade, terrible for the Pelicans. The Steven Adams signing, terrible. But it doesn't matter. Zion's still dominating. Hold on, hold on. Answering texts. Oh my, I can't spell. What a casual. That's your fault for us. If you're listening right now, it's your fault. I couldn't spell. Anyway, so that's, that's one of the reasons why he will dominate this league. Is because... He doesn't have the right pieces around him. Number two, he's just a matchup nightmare. He is a matchup. He's too big for quick guys to cover him. And he's too quick for big guys to cover him. It doesn't matter who you put on Zion. He has a really good mismatch. Because Zion's handle is crazy. And Zion's ability to finish at the basket is insane. And even if he misses that initial layup, the chance of him grabbing that board and putting it back up is so high. You know, I think of it a lot. Like, when I see Zion play, it's a lot like we have this friend, Brendan, who comes to the courts with us. And he's a bigger dude. He's tall, bigger. So it's like when I'm trying to cover him. It doesn't matter if Brendan misses that first layup. He's going to get the board over me. He's going to put it back up. It doesn't matter because he's just bigger. That's how Zion is. Zion is a 6'7", 280 guy that has the handle of, like, a small forward slash shooting guard. 
like a guy that can put the ball on the floor. He ain't crossing up. He ain't no Kyrie Irving. But he can put that ball on the floor enough to get by defenders. And if he, he can't dribble past you, he can just put his back to you, and it's a bucket. You know, if, if Zion is averaging 26 and doesn't need a jump shot to do it, man, if he can go the opposite way of Ben Simmons and develop a jump shot, it's over for the league. Because, yeah, Zion posters are cool, but you know what's a lot cooler? is just bullying kids down the stretch and getting buckets against my Celtics to close it out. Because goddamn was he doing that. I mean, just Zion's so impressive. Zion is so impressive. And to see him in this situation where he's clearly not in the perfect situation, but still dominating is really hopeful for me because I want Zion to be everything that he's supposed to be. And and to see him kind of living up to the hype so far is really... Sorry about that. I got interrupted. But to see Zion in a situation where he's not perfect and still dominating is amazing for me. I love it. And and it, it gives me hope that he will be everything he is projected to be. He will be this generational superstar. And hopefully he can turn out to be just that. You know, I don't want him to be another Amari Stoudemire, another just big dude that's good. I want him to be that guy. I want to see that man lifting an MVP. You know? So we'll see. But the last thing I'm going to talk about tonight is uh, B-Souls. Because B-Souls, so first of all, B-Souls is a YouTuber I really liked. His content has started to fall off lately, and and that's not, I mean, it is actually kind of completely his fault because he makes the content, but he's going through finals in college. He has a lot of other things going on in his life that are not, you know, they're not optimal for making great content. He used to make really good content. He started uploading less to try and improve his content. I thought his content went downhill. There are a couple of videos I have really big complaints about, like he tried to rank every franchise, but it was weird. I commented on the video. I was like, there's no continuity in how you rank it. Because he was like, oh, well, the Pelicans are going to be really good five years from now, but didn't address anything about the past. And then he was like, well, historically, the Kings have been trash. So I'm going to put them down here. Like, it just wasn't a good video in terms of continuity. There wasn't a judge scale on how to how to um, rank these teams and these franchises. And I commented like, what the fuck was the criteria that you were using and he replied and was like I tried to incorporate this these five years the next five years and the previous five years which just if you watch the video he didn't do I was very unsatisfied with that and overall I would like to put a huge disclaimer on this I like B-Souls I like his content B-Souls had recently switched his like Twitter profile picture to him in a Lakers hat and for y'all who don't know he's a Celtics fan um he was in a Lakers hat it was a joke it was a joke but he said he was getting a lot of hate. It was a lot of racist shit because he's Asian. It was a lot of racist shit. It was a lot of shit about his weight because he's a bigger guy. So he was like, hey, I'm going to get off Twitter for a while and I'm just going to kind of focus on YouTube. And he dropped a really good video called 20, the, the, the 2019 Celtics, this dynasty that never was, which is a really good video just kind of taking you through the timeline of events and how the Celtics got messed up and how we need to blame more than just Kyrie Irving. It was a great video. It was obviously a painful video for me to watch, but it was a great video. I highly recommend it. And so I'll love to be souls, but he had a really dumbass tweet that I wanted to talk about. He said, so he tweeted out uh, four days ago. He said, y'all got on KD because he joined a super team and didn't form one. So he goes to the Nets with Kyrie Irving, a 42 and 40 team, and they didn't get hardened until year two. And it was a problem and it was through a trade and it's still a problem. So I had to break this down actually in, I think it was two tweets, two different tweets. 
So the first tweet I said was, same argument could be made for his free agency. Why wouldn't he go to Golden State? You're going to blame a man for wanting a ring? Like, bro, we can criticize a man who has proven he needs an absurd amount of talent. Still a super team, still weak, still a problem. That was my initial reaction. And then I quote tweeted his tweet. And this is, that's more like analytical looking at the tweet as a whole. Let's break down this tweet. So the first thing he says is, y'all got on KD because he joined a super team and didn't form one. First of all, he formed one. When he went to Golden State, they became a super team. The 2016 Golden State Warriors were not a super team. All right, you had Steph, Clay, and Dre which was not a super team. And then you had Harrison Barnes and a bunch of role players, Andre Iguodala. You know, that was not a super team. If you think the 2016 Warriors are a super team, check yourself because they just aren't. So, so then he goes to the Nets with Kyrie, a 42 and 40 team, saying that as if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant played that season, right? So let's read this. Hold on, let me start again. He says, so he goes to the Nets with Kyrie, a 42 and 40 team. It didn't get hard until year two and it was through a trade. So he went to the Nets, a playoff team. He went to a play, that team went 42 and 40 and made it into the playoffs without Kevin Durant and with Kyrie Irving playing like 20 games. And it didn't get hard until year two. Kevin Durant didn't play till year two. James Harden didn't request a trade until year two. What the fuck was that argument even? Like, the till year two. They didn't get Harden till year two. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. They didn't... Harden wasn't requesting a trade until it was their second season. Kevin Durant hadn't played until year two. They weren't willing to push all their chips into the middle yet as a team in Brooklyn. Like, it was just so dumb. He also forgets to mention how Kevin Durant got the coach fired in Brooklyn because he quote-unquote didn't like him. He also fails to mention how Kevin Durant just, like... He, he just completely removes context from everything. You know? Kevin Durant has now formed two super teams. Because there also is this underlying thing that, that Nets fans I've heard argue that, like, Kevin Durant didn't ask for James Harden to be traded there. And while it is true, if you look back on clips, Kevin Durant never said that he wanted, like, James Harden there publicly. He said, we don't need James Harden to win a championship. That's what he said publicly. But you're gonna sit. You're gonna sit here and tell me that if if Kevin Durant walked into the front office of the Brooklyn Nets and went, no, no, James Harden, they still traded for him. Fuck right off. No way in hell. Kevin Durant, they had to have gotten an okay from KD and Kyrie to trade for Harden, and I'm sure it wasn't a hard you know argument to have. But still, like to sit here and say that Kevin Durant didn't form this team is bullshit. Him and Kyrie went to Brooklyn, and then there's no way Kevin Durant did not vouch for James Harden to be traded there. That's so dumb. And it's a problem. It's still a problem, in my opinion, because Kevin Durant now will have zero rings that I respect. Like, okay, I said this in the quote tweet. In the quote tweet, I said, right here, B-Souls claims that the 2016 Warriors were a super team. They weren't, and KD did form one when he joined them. Because they were a super team after, not before. I said, he now has formed two super teams. Don't give me this BS. Because he has formed two super teams now. I respect his greatness and his talent, but not his rings. That's true. Any rings he runs in Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving and James Harden there? Hell no. Hell no, I don't respect it. Unless it's like some LeBron James shit where he's like clearly the best player in the league and he is clearly just head and shoulders above the players on his team. No way in hell am I respecting these rings. Because Kevin Durant, when he was in Golden State, there was a debate as to whether or not 
Steph Curry was the best player on the team, or Kevin Durant was the best player on the team. In Brooklyn, the way James Harden is playing, you can argue who's the best player on the team. Those Heat teams, maybe in 2011 you could argue that, but after that you could not argue it. It was LeBron unequivocally. So I don't know. I wanted to close it out with that because I love to call people out for being stupid as shit on Twitter, and I thought Bezos was being really dumb on Twitter. But obviously all love to him, and yeah. But thank you so much for listening. Um... Tweet at me at the 3D Podcast. You want me to cover some? If there's anything like your team that I didn't cover, you want me to do so? Just let me know. I'll try to cover it next episode. And uh, thank you. Peace.